This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. guideline like you go you line them up to get an idea of it and then you listen to a bit of it and if it sounds like i'm talking to you from half a mile away then you scoot the sound around a little bit yeah i understand i just like getting a good one though you just you can't the lag makes it literally impossible to tell what or what's a good one oh i can tell i really i like i know you're trying to just make yourself feel better but but I can tell. You you can't. You really can't. <laughs> but I can. No, I can hear can't. it. I can feel it. No, you can't. Yeah, I can. Listen, all the computer simulations and the human simulations that we ran on this clap mm. thing. Tell you're me a very inspiring clapper. You said I am good to do another so- to talk more about Sully, but you said you didn't want to. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Did, did you ever do an intro and you're just like, is that the intro? Yeah. That's our podcast every week. Ugh. We talk about books, but we also spend a couple minutes not talking about books. We talk about... On average, I think. On yes, a- that's right. <laughs> that's that's the ratio week in and week out. We saw uh, the Sully movie yesterday. That's true. Welcome to Andrew and Craig's movie review. We saw... Sully Sullenberger, The Plain Man, the movie mm-hmm. by Clint Eastwood and Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Tom Hanks was in it. I don't know if he helped make it. I mean, he helped make it insofar as he was in it and he elevated the material about that's, as high as it could be elevated. I think. Yeah, that's a cr- that's a that's a larger discussion about artistic credit. Here's my review: is you should it. go you should go see the Sully Plain Man movie if you love planes or. And or if you love stories about when a man and his instinct is right and like the computers and the experts are wrong. Like they weren't there. They don't know what it was like to crash that plane. Okay. If you- the guy from Nickelodeon Guts was the evil government investigator. I which you told just... me you told me like halfway through the movie and I was so <laughs> loud about it that Susanna had to hit me and tell me to shut up. <laughs> I didn't think I was being that loud, but there, I mean, there were like 10 people in the theater. So yeah, no. you we were going, sitting right behind one of them. You, but. you at all whispering, Oh my God, is that the guy was like echoing That's off him. the walls. That's him. There and was he handed no... out every, he handed out pieces of the plane to everybody. Yeah. The glowing piece of that radical plane. Yeah. Yeah. That movie's okay. It was fine. It was, I thought the parts about the actual like flight were pretty cool. Yeah, I give it one sideways thumb out of two possible upwards thumbs. That's fair. You know so what I have to say about that? What's that? Birds. Birds. All right. Birds. Let's let's talk about books. So we talk about books on this show. It's for the record. I don't know. We've talked about this in a while. We aren't like book dudes. 
Like, we don't come from the world of books. We found no. ourselves in this magical land, and y'all welcomed we, us against, we came against in your better a, judgment. We came in through a wardrobe, and you guys <laughs> welcomed us as some of your own. Yeah, so we're here to, like, learn from the world of books, but also to mock it for the for the world yeah, that it is. Yeah, and not to take it super seriously. Like, always to be respectful, but but like to really straddle that line between respect and mockery. Yeah, and I I've been thinking I feel about like this. I feel I feel good when we can do something like the magicians and people are like, "Yeah, you like trashed my favorite book, but I laugh the whole time." And I'm like, yeah. "Okay, that's good. That's where I want to be." When you get a mix of people expressing like good and positive opinions about the book and both you mean feeling good, good opinions and Wait, positive oh, opinions. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Whoa. Uh, whoa. It's a real uh, um, wide variety there. That's the wide spectrum I aspire to. Uh good and bad opinions and then like both of those groups of people saying they enjoyed the episode like that's that's means we've yeah, done a good job. That's good. um and that's because like this book this show if you're just joining us which some of you have in the past couple of months like it's here for us to expand our own reading, not for us to be like authors who talk about the best way to write books. Right. So and I say I've, that like, yeah, yeah we've ahead. done almost 200 episodes and I don't, I don't feel like I'm well read. I don't feel like a book no. snob. Like something like <laughs> we do bring in um, like a lot of references now that we couldn't have brought in 200 episodes ago because we have read a lot of stuff, but I still like, if I went into a, into a discussion with a bunch of people who followed literature really closely and had like studied it, I'd still feel, I still feel like a yokel, a book yeah. yokel. Yeah. I feel like a darn hooplehead up in this conversation. I'm still, I still retain my link to the common, the common not book reading people. <laughs> So this week we're going to talk about Tuck Everlasting by Natalie Babbitt, um, which when I announced this, people were very excited, which is cool. I, mm-hmm. I never, you know, I'm like, this is a book that was suggested to us and um, a couple of times. And so I was like, yeah, I can I can read this book. This is a, a book I've heard about, a story I feel like I should know. And... Uh, you can stop listening because I enjoyed it. That's it. End of show. It's great. Had this a good time. has been Craig's book review <laughs> podcast time. Welcome to the episode of the of the show where I say less about the book we read than I say about the movie Sully. That's that's two what weeks, we're here to two do. Weeks running, man. <laughs> Let's crash this podcast into some birds. Now, Andrew, have you <laughs> have you read this book? No. Okay. Nor do did you, I see the movie. Okay, I have not seen either film adaptation of this book, one of which was made in like the 70s and one of which was made in 2002 starring was, Rory from the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, one was made in 1981 and then ah. another one. Yeah, the, the one that most of our listeners are probably familiar with is the 2002 film, which, yes, stars Alexis Bledel, who is Rory on Gilmore Girls and some Jonathan Taylor Thomas looking <laughs> floppy haired white guy whose uh-huh. name actually is Jonathan Jackson. Yeah, which just who's makes on, me think. Who's on Nashville now, I guess? He makes me think of Joshua Jackson. Who's Joshua Jackson? Uh, Percy, Percy from Dawson's Creek. Okay. And he does, probably... he does have a, like, a, a Dawson's Creek look about him, doesn't he? Yes. Where have all the horses gone? Where have all the floppy-haired white boys gone? (laughs) 
So one of the things, well, I want to talk about Natalie Babbitt real quick, Andrew, but I just want to prep you because according to the Wikipedia page on Tuck Everlasting, the subject of this novel are, subjects are, is, are, immortality, Mm -hmm. aging, Mm -hmm. and secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Secrets about immortality and aging. I assume. I would. I would assume. Wait, if what any- do you look? Is this? Is this under? It's like you scroll the bottom of the Wikipedia thing and you see what the. No, if you are, if you, it's the thing on the right where it's like there's an image of the book, mm-hmm. and oh, and this. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone out there, if any of our listeners actually spend serious time contributing to a wiki of any kind. Please write in and like just tell us what that experience is like. Because I've you just only start the overdue wiki. Well, that's a separate conversation, and I'm all for it. But like, what is that community like? How did someone get away with putting secrets under the subject for Tuck Everlasting? Uh, briefly, let's just talk about Natalie Babbitt. I only say briefly because she is a contemporary author. Um, that is best known for this book, and so scholarship on her is a little limited. Uh, She grew up in the great state of Ohio, Andrew. Oh, cool, Uh, yeah. Um, She actually is from... She was born in Dayton, Ohio. Craig, I I have an Ohio joke for you. Oh, please hit me. I have a cool Ohio joke. Okay. Uh, Where's where's Engagement, Ohio? Oh, is it right after? Is it just after? It's, it's, uh, yeah, somewhere between Dayton and Marion. (laughs) Ohio jokes. What? <laughs> My mom told me that joke once. Have you never heard that one? No. <laughs> I, what I love about as like I know you're from Marion, so like that's a, you're ready for that. I, I am. was. I'm so I here was... for a joke that has Marion in it. <laughs> Other than uh, Other than as... just Marion, like the existence of Marion, Ohio. <laughs> I was just not prepared for Marion to make it into that joke. Like I could I could see you warming up for a joke about Dayton and I didn't know if you were going to bring me to Compromise Street in Mount Vernon, Ohio. No. But nonetheless. That's a good street though. It's <laughs> a good joke. Uh <laughs> anything that wow, that really made me laugh. Um uh Natalie Babbitt born in 1932 in Dayton, Ohio as Natalie Zane Moore. Uh, she married Samuel Fisher Babbitt, and they had three kids together. Uh, what else is that? Um, she was the U.S. nominee for the Hans Christian Andersen Award in 1982. I think that was for Tuck Everlasting, um, which was and the book itself was named an ALA Notable Book. It was ranked number 16 among the top 100 chapter books of all time in a 2012 School Library Journal article, which like chapter books. Yeah. It's that's like all books, right? Like everything but children's books. Anything with chapters in it is a chapter book. Yeah, but I feel like you Technically. S- technically. I feel like you start referring to them as chapter books when in like 4th, 5th grade. Yeah. In there like I first I think I heard the term chapter book when I was reading like My Side of the Mountain. Right. Like it's, ex- that's- it's like explicitly given to those books where 
the fact that it has chapters is like a big deal instead of just like how books are. <laughs> yeah, and maybe there won't be pictures in it right. for once. Maybe. I mean, the maybe. better ones will still have pictures. Those are the best books. Um, and then in 2012, she was awarded the inaugural E.B. White Award for Achievement in Children's Literature by the Academy, the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else she wrote? She has written and illustrated a lot of children's books. Um, her second children's book, which is called Knee Knock Rise, mm-hmm. which is about, among other things, I guess, the need that people have to invent religion. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, won the Newbery Honor in 1971. Oh, so, great. Yeah. She came at writing from illustration uh, in a scholastic interview uh, she's she like went to school for illustration and and that's what she wanted to be when she grew up. And in this interview with the Scholastic, she said, "My sister produced a comic novel which required substantial rewriting, uh, and she had been watching her husband uh, take time out to write. And she says, I learned three valuable things from observing my husband's and sister's forays into the writer's world. You have to give yourself, you have to give writing your full attention. You have to like the revision process, and you have to like to be alone." but it was years before I put any of this to good use. And I I mentioned this because she her first novel, or her first book, not novel, was published uh, in collaboration with her husband in 1966 called The 49th Magician. She illustrated it, he wrote it, uh, and then their publisher like encouraged her to keep making books on her own. And she just seems to have this, like, really refreshingly candid opinion about writing mm-hmm. and about like writing for kids. When uh, another interview asked if someone could only read one of your books, which one would you want them to read? She said, Tuck Everlasting. People seem to have a good time thinking about the issues raised in that one. And grownups seem to like it as much as kids. Like no pretension, just people like my book, I guess. Yeah. It's people pretty neat. Seem, people seem okay with that one. Maybe they should read that one. Yeah, that's the one people like. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, another interview at the end of my Kindle edition of Tuck Everlasting. Someone asked what her favorite song was. She said, too many to mention, but most of them are from the 30s and 40s when songs were to sing, not to shout and wiggle to. <laughs> <laughs> Which are arguably my favorite songs. I hate that wiggling. Uh, stop wiggling. That's what the movie Footloose was about, right? It was this town of people who didn't want anybody to wiggle during songs. And then Kevin, Kevin Bacon? Yeah, John Lithgow didn't want them to wiggle. To John the music. Lithgow didn't want anybody to wiggle. And then Kevin Bacon and Joseph Gordon-Levitt came and taught, taught a town how to wiggle. Yeah, and I think French Stewart was there. And it French Stewart was there. He was there. And he was like, hey, 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 Patrick, it's me. It's your cousin French. <laughs> I got this new sci-fi franchise you just need to hear about. I feel I feel like sometimes we we do these I would hesitate to call them riffs, but it's that's the reference best word for reference them. casserole, I think. Yeah. Is. And I've I've noticed in previous ones people and this happened when we were doing a boy band riff a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Every people got once really in a while, mad. We, we get were... someone going like, "Hey, that's not right. That's incorrect." Like, well, unfortunately, that's what we were trying to do in the first place. <laughs> so, Whoops. the and last quote from Natalie Babbitt because we're we're uh, underneath all the goofing. We're still doing a podcast here. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Um, 
someone asked her, what would your readers be most surprised to learn about you? And she says, maybe that I believe that writing books is a long way from being important. The most most important thing anyone can do is be a teacher. Uh, As for those of us who write books, I often think we should all stop for 50 years. There are so many wonderful books to read and not enough time to get around to all of them, but we writers just keep cranking them out. All we can hope for is that readers will find at least a little time for them anyway. Which is, I just thought that was an, a sentiment that I'd actually never heard before mm-hmm. from someone who is a writer and, and has been an acclaimed writer in her field and, and in the world. Like, for someone to be like, maybe we should all just take a break. <laughs> just like breathe for a second. I, I do think that a lot of writers, or I, I don't know, maybe this, is, maybe this is just me projecting onto a lot of writers. If you are a writer, and I know we have some people who follow our podcast who are, um, let's let's like talk about this. But I think a lot of writing for an audience is sort of there's sort of an implied look at me thing going on. OK, like here are the thoughts that I have to share. And I by writing them down and trying to share them with you am signaling to you that I think my thoughts are important enough to have an audience. <laughs> and it's it is it's refreshing to have someone be like, yeah, just because you're doing that doesn't mean you're important so like maybe you don't get ahead of yourself yeah there's a way to take this that's like hey be humble about what you're doing and if you want to keep doing it go ahead that's cool without being like listen to me listen to me i'm a writer yeah but i also think that that's that's a thing that's like even when we were starting this show it's like does the world need another podcast? Of course it did. Of course it did. But <laughs> back in 2013, man, there were barely any podcasts where two a, white guys talked about something. It was a barren wasteland of white guys. It was pre. That was before Serial had invented the podcast. So there's like there's nothing going on. It's true. French Stewart didn't even have a podcast back then. Um, what would yeah. what would his podcast be called? French Stewart's podcast. <laughs> French uh, class. <laughs> Got it in one. <laughs> oh, my God. If anyone knows French Stewart, I just assume we have enough listeners that they are all connected to everything. It's like we the Kevin Bacon game. We have somebody who told us like, what Mandy Moore is up to, so I assume that we've got, we've got a line to French Stewart That Mandy Moore show is going to premiere any minute, so everyone like cross your fingers and pray for Mandy Moore that she makes it out of the pilot, because I'm really worried about her. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, Just, it's yeah. Good luck to her, uh, Andrew. <laughs> real quick, I just want to mention that Tuck Everlasting, as we said, was turned into two movies. It was also recently turned into a musical, right? Called, called Tuck Everlasting. Fair enough. And it unfortunately closed after thirty nine performances this past spring. Now you are a playman. Playman. A playman. Tell me how is that good or bad or nothing? In the regional nonprofit world, that's about standard. For Broadway, okay. that's unfortunate. Okay, but uh, it, it wasn't was, Broadway, or it was. was it? Um, yes, oh, it, it was supposed to be. No, it, it, it says <laughs> what I was. have says it opened in Atlanta, and then they moved it to New York. Okay, and it was actually featured in a June article in the New York Times called "Anatomy of a Broadway Flop," 
what sank Ooh. these four shows. Ooh. And by all, you know, the New York Times reviewer, Ben Brantley, I think Ben Brantley did the review, actually really liked the show. The reviews out of Atlanta were good. But uh, people just didn't go see it. And I think part of the fact is like children's, like family geared musicals on Broadway have a hard time if they're not Disney branded. Um, sure, because, yeah, because you've already got the Lion King hanging out. Like, why do you need anything else? Yeah, and it was actually a really strong season for Broadway in general. Like, I don't know if you've heard of Hamilton and some other shows Wait, like what? that. Tell me more about this, this show. It's a hip-hop musical Whoa. About, about the Founding Fathers, Ooh. including Alexander Hamilton. Ooh, that guy on the $10 bill. Yeah, and there aren't many white people in the show. That sounds apocryphal. It's <laughs> uh, so it actually had a hard time. Tuck Everlasting did finding an audience, which is a shame because it sounds like it was decent. But it, it's at le- decent at the very least. Um, but ha- finding an audience amidst the like noise of a really good Broadway season seems to have kind of killed it, which is a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, I mean, it's good news for writers who write about plays because the name Tuck Everlasting applied to a play that that doesn't last very long is like a it's a headline <laughs> gift. But maybe not everybody thinks that way. Man, you are such a member of the media. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Andrew, Craig. I want to tell you about this book, but first we got to take a break. Oh, that sounds good. Craig. Andrew. This week's episode is brought to you in part by our good friends at Squarespace. Who are they? They are people who make making websites easy. Did you know? (laughs) Good sentence construction, pal. I know. Well, (laughs) luckily for us, Squarespace is much better at constructing websites than I am at constructing sentences. Um, if you if you go to squarespace.com, uh, you can set up an account and make yourself a web page. Um, they have these they have really great templates that can uh, help you set up a site. Uh, they have drag and drop tools so you can make something look the way you want it to look without having to muck around in HTML. They have commerce tools. They have great customer support that you and I have availed ourselves of many times. Correct. Correct. Uh, you can go to squarespace.com and start a free trial today. If you decide to turn that free trial into a real big boy or girl website, uh, you can enter the offer code overdue to get 10% off your first purchase. And so that comes with a, uh, that comes, and that also comes with a free custom domain that uh, you can use to point people at whatever your thing is. Yeah, you get that for the first year. Yeah. You, it's all yours it's for a year. All yours. Uh, anything else about Squarespace, Craig? Oh, no, that's a, it's pretty good. Squarespace is pretty good. Squarespace, it's pretty good. It's that's pretty a, good. That's the tagline, right? <laughs> now, sir, so we've been Squarespace customers for like three and some three point something years, and uh, we were actually were pointed to it by another podcast. So we're we are happy to pay that particular thing forward. So yeah, go to squarespace.com, start a free trial today. Um, use the offer code overdue to get ten percent off your purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. It's pretty good. 
Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Let's uh, let's talk about this book. Finally, I feel like we've uh, we've been talking about a whole bunch of stuff today. Yeah, conversation everlasting. <laughs> so I made a joke on Twitter about Tuck Everlasting. Okay. Uh, this was on uh, apparently March twentieth, twenty sixteen, and this is this is me quoting myself. Good idea, colon. Dress shirt that never comes untucked. Uses Velcro at the bottom that attaches to your pants. I call it the Tuck Everlasting. And I got 24 likes and one retweet. (laughs) What is your current pinned tweet? Because I feel like that's of a quality with your... It would have been your pinned... My current pinned tweet is business idea, cool dad for higher service for people with embarrassing fathers. I call it faux pas. Very good. Very good. So, Andrew, I'm going to read you the first sentence of this book. Okay. This book, Tuck Everlasting. The first week of August hangs at the very top of summer, the top of the live-long year, like the highest seat of a Ferris wheel when it pauses in its turning. So this book takes place in the first week of August, and I say that... (laughs) Wait, the whole book or just the start of it? uh, Almost the entirety of the book. Oh, dang. And I say that because I found it interesting that for a children's book, the dominant setting is like is a time like there is a place there is a there's a wood in this town called tree gap and like there's some houses that they inhabit and stuff but like i was struck that the storybook opening of this children's novel focused on a unit of time and that seems important because it's going to be as we said earlier a book about immortality aging and secrets <laughs> And more importantly to the first two, Immortality and Aging and and the Passage of Time. So I just wanted to share that. I also really like how this book opens where it says, you know, one day at that time, three things happened. And at first there appeared to be no connection between them. May Tuck set set out on her horse for the wood at the edge of the village of Tree Gap. Uh, Winnie Foster, whose family owned the Tree Gap Wood, lost her patience and decided to run away, and a stranger appeared at the Foster's Gate. He was looking for someone, but he didn't say who. I just, like, I love the economy of this prologue. I can't think of a book I've read that does this, where it's like, here are the three distinct forces in this novel you're about to read. Mm Mm-hmm. And they will collide. Get ready. Sure. Like, I, I I can't remember a book that, like, almost like setting up a board game. Like, here are, the th- here are the different things you need to worry about. Here are the steps that we must take to right. finish this book together. I feel like me. August has, is, it's like an often a remarkable book in, or a month in kids' books because. Oh, sure. I think kids attach this this importance to August because like it's still summer, but it's about not to be. Yeah, no, that's and really important. There's a there there was a we read something wicked this way comes like way back when, and Bradbury did the same sort of thing where he was like, um, it was October, a rare month for boys. Not that our all months aren't rare, but there be bad and good as the pirates say. Take September, a bad month. School begins. Consider August a good month. School hasn't begun yet. Mm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah 
That's a good episode. Anybody listen? Go listen to that episode. Yeah, go listen. <laughs> we were pretty um, good in that. We one. were pretty good at that one. From what I've read, the um, I think the Rory Gilmore film adaptation changes it to the beginning of summer. It's like a Junish. Yeah, Junish, and w- the importance of that is our protagonist Winnie Foster, who in this in in the original telling in the book is like ten years old. Um, she doesn't quite fit in at school, and I think it's important that this book take place over the summer because of that. Like, a it gives you like an end cap for like when special things are are possible to happen outside of the structure of right. school, and also when they could possibly end because you gotta go back. Yes. to Yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. So Winnie is, as I said, she's ten. Her family is well to do. They own their property in their house, and I. Th- they also own the woods on their property, the Tree Gap Woods. Okay. And she doesn't really go in there or anything. She's actually, during the summer months, pretty well confined to her house. She lives with her parents and her grandmother. Excuse me. Their yard has a big fence. You say confined, like is something keeping her there? Or is that just where she prefers to spend most of her time or what? Her family prefers that she spend her time there. Her family is very type A. Everything is very orderly. She will ex- she will be expected to grow up and be a proper lady. Of course. And they, I don't think she has a lot of friends in school because her family is kind of well-to-do and that separates her from the other kids. So there isn't like kids for her to go off and play with or anything as well. Right. Um, and she's getting a little tired of this. Winnie wants to get out. Winnie wants to let her hair down. Winnie wants to have some fun. <laughs> Let's have a night on the town. Now, it is the it is the late 19th century. I don't know what that means for a 10-year-old. I think it means like going out and having some laudanum or something and <laughs> just like partying. Yeah, those tween, <laughs> all those all those tweens that died in the laudanum raves. At well, the, it's like, it's like X. It's like X for 19th century ladies. But she's 10, Andrew. Yeah, never too young to have laudanum for the first time. Well, people did get married a lot younger back then. Joe so. Camel was, I mean, they <laughs> they said he was just a cigarette camel, but you know he was there to sell laudanum to kids. Okay. Okay. So she <laughs> she's thinking about getting out. She's thinking about, uh, you know... If not, like, running away, just, like, spending some time out of her yard. It sounds like maybe she needs to have that if her family is really so restrictive as as the book is telling us. Yes. At one point, she sees a toad on the other side of her fence and is kind of, like, tossing some rocks at it. And, That's mean. Well, like, not, like, to hit it, just so that Wait, it would annoy... Would... <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a there's like some gnats that she's throwing her rocks through like near the toad. I it's see. fine. Don't okay. worry. All her right. and the toad are cool. All right. Because she says to the toad, "Look here, toad. I don't think I can stand it here much longer." And her plan, she ends up going into the woods, in in a couple chapters. This is a chapter book after all. Right. And she says to herself, "Like, I'm not running away, but." If I'm out there and I decide to not come home, like maybe that'll be what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't intend to run away, but if I happen to, then 
you know, let the chips were fall where they may. Like if the laudanum's better here in the woods, like maybe I'll just stay. Mm-hmm. Um, before she leaves, she encounters a man in a yellow suit. Curious kinda, George. That's kind of what I thought, right? He's older. He has uh, a thin, apologetic beard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry like, about my beard. It sounds like he runs like a failing record like store. the kind of beard I would grow. Like, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry I tried to grow this beard. I've decided to have this beard despite the obvious deficiencies. I apologize. <laughs> now, one of the things that's going to get Winnie in trouble is that she doesn't... Now, I don't know when they rolled these PSAs out, Andrew, but she's never seen like a Stranger Danger video, cool. I don't think. Sure. It is the 19th century. Maybe they hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. But Strangers this... are fine. <laughs> Still. It, it's a pamphlet they give to every eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, this man walks up with his apologetic beard, and he says, is, <laughs> is this your house? And she goes, yes. Do you want to see my father? <laughs> He no, goes, that's, perhaps- that's not such a crazy question to ask. Okay. That's fine. Sure. And he says, perhaps, but I'd like to talk to you first. And then he goes on to ask about whether or not her family owns the wood. He seems a little mm, curious. Like, both he is curious and he's curious, if you know what I mean. Sure. He's a weirdo. You know what I mean. Yeah, he's a weirdo. Okay. And he, like, leaves. He doesn't talk to her parents or anything. He just walks away. And that's obviously that's one of the three, you know, people that I set up. So the next day uh, she see she goes off into the woods. She runs away, quote unquote, and she sees this like beautiful 17 year old boy named Jesse Tuck. And upon introducing himself to her, he promptly tells her that He's actually 107. Mm-hmm. And she's a little confused. And they're hanging out in the woods. There's this big, gorgeous tree with like a, with like a natural uh, fountain, like spring fountain coming out of it. And she's a little thirsty, and she goes to take a drink. And the beautiful 1,707-year-old Jesse says, no, don't drink it. Don't do that. Don't you dare do that. A little confusing, mm-hmm. one one might think. Mm-hmm. And who busts in but his mom? Come on. Getting him in trouble. <laughs> I think you wanted me to have a stronger reaction to that than I did. Well, it's like when your mom busts in, she's like, oh, two hands, let me see hands. Everybody like, raise well, your hands. I got Rice Krispie Treats and Tang, and you don't get any if I can't see your hands. Uh, keep in mind that Jesse is hanging out with a 10-year-old girl, and he is either 17 or 107 or both. It's so. like, it's, so the movie, they aged the girl character up. To, yes. And so she and, she and Tuck were like the same apparent age, but that's not the case in the book, right? Not of the case in the book. Now, does be- it does it get weird, or is it only weird if you're thinking about the movie while you're reading the book? I was prepared to talk about this a bit later. Let me skip ahead real quick. Okay. Um. So later on in the book, where so this is good. This is good. We're gonna flash forward a little bit. Uh, Winnie ends up hanging out with the Tuck family. May. Miles, May and her husband, Angus, and their two sons, Miles and Mm Jesse. Jesse's the youngest. 
And 87 years ago, they drank from this fountain and became immortal. They can't die. They can't age. And they can't. So even if they were wounded grievously, they couldn't die? Or is it strictly an age thing? So they first figured it out when Jesse fell out of a tree and fell on his head and he was fine. Okay. Their horse also drank from the fountain. Someone shot their horse, and their horse was fine. They have an immortal horse? They have a fat immortal horse. Horse everlasting? Horse everlasting. Whoa. Uh, pa got, got a snake bite once, and he's fine. Jesse ate some bad mushrooms, and he's fine. I mean, he painted some weird <laughs> pictures, bad but he's fine. Trip. Bad um, trip. And, of course, uh, Miles, who's 22, had a family. He got married and had two sons, and his wife kept aging and got and thought his whole family was witches, and so she left with the kids. Right, obviously. Um, this was 80 years ago. And bef- before that happened, though, of course, Pa Tuck, Angus, he decided to test his immortality in the ultimate way he shot himself in the chest, Andrew. Mm-hmm. He was totally fine. Okay. I just thought, when I read that part, I was like, this is a little dark. <laughs> this is like, this is the darkest dark. parts of like Groundhog the, Day. Yeah, Groundhog Day. I was just going to say, it's like that <laughs> sequence where he tries to kill himself over and over again. And like the movie plays it for like, haha, funny laughs. But <laughs> yeah, like, this is it's a man pretty rough. who can't take what he's doing anymore like he just wants to end it and he can't and the universe laughs in his face it's pretty pretty rough ned the head ryerson (laughs) um so Um, yeah we were were talking about is it creepy in the book or is it just creepy in the book if you were reading the book with the movie in mind okay so here's what happens um She's hanging out with the Tucks, and I want to come back to what Pa Tuck says to her. But first, the creepy part with Jesse. Jesse's been 17 for 87 years. I don't think his brain has changed much. He still wants to, like, have a girl to be with, right? To be with. To be with. Okay. So there's this sequence where uh, Winnie's trying to get some sleep, and, like, Ma Tuck comes in and is like, oh, it's so cool to have you here. And Pa Tuck comes in and is like, oh, it's so cool to have you here. Jesse... (laughs) Jesse comes in and he goes, I've been thinking it over. Pa's right about you having to keep the secret. It's not hard to see why. But the thing is, you knowing about the water already and living right next to it so you could go there anytime. Well, listen, how'd it be if you was to wait till you're 17, same as me? Heck, that's only six years off. I guess she'd been 11 at this point. And then you could go and drink some. And then you could go away with me. We could get married even. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? That's, yeah, that'd be pretty good. What? <laughs> what? Why, why heck, Winnie? Life's to enjoy yourself, isn't it? Why what else is heck? it good for? That's what I say. And you and me, we could have a good time that never, never stopped. Wouldn't that be something? Now, he's not talking about sex There explicitly. is a word that rhymes with tuck. Hey. That could, like that word everlasting. Hey. What? Leave your dirty limericks at home. There once was a man named Tuck. <laughs> there once was an immortal man named Tuck. Um, yeah, that part was weird, and I I totally flagged it for how gross it felt. Um, yeah, because late- like if you as as a immortal seventeen year old, mm-hmm. like does, has he just 
like what is their how do they interact with the rest of the community because i've i've read some stories in which like individuals are immortal inside a framework that does not like allow for immortal people so there's this uh there's this web comic called um called gunner krieg court that i read and there's one character who is like immortal and her her origin is like unknown even to her but there's one chapter of that comic that goes through her like existence through the ages and it's all about her like going to different places and hanging out until the people realize that she's not aging right and then chasing her out that's sort of yeah what they do okay they head that off a little bit they took them a couple years to realize what was going on Mm -hmm. and their plan right now is that like Ma and Pa Tuck live in this house where they've now absconded with Winnie too. <laughs> uh, basically to like impress upon her the importance of keeping the secret and then they can return her to her family. Um, they live there. Well, all what the if time. they don't impress upon her right or enough? Okay, cool. So they took this 10 year old hostage to make sure she could keep their secrets. Great. Yep. Uh, and I guess their plan is like if this doesn't work out, they'll just leave. They've done it before. Like they found this town and they, like they initially drank from the tree and then wandered around for a while and then like found the tree again. And they don't need it to say immortal, but like they're nearby, I guess. Okay. Um, the boys, the two boys, uh, they go off and like they go work odd jobs. They work in a bar. They fight in a war. They like go work <laughs> they on a farm. Be pretty good at that. That actually seems like a really great way to get your cover blown if you're immortal. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Man, you just uh, jumped on a grenade, dude, and you're like, fine. That's totally fine. Man, I'm glad to be alive, but doesn't that seem a little weird? <laughs> weird. Check out Miles over here covered in grenade. He's fine. Um, and the boys come back to the area every. Boys come back to town. They come back every August to hang out with the family for like a week. Just uh, not every August. August every 10 years, excuse me. Time is different for immortal people. (laughs) So that's happening this August and that's cool, whatever. Um, And if they, again, if they get caught or if they try not to stay anywhere for too long, uh, Ma and Pa Tuck like have wares that they can peddle. And they try to spread it out among the villages so that no one gets to know them too well. It sounds really lonely. Like it's painted as being a pretty lonely but ultimately okay existence. Yeah. Uh, the thing that, like, okay, I want to unpack the idea of immortality for a second here. Because Pa Tuck gives this, he takes Winnie out in a boat onto the pond, and the pond has, like, a current to it. And the He's like circling in this boat and he's like, this is like the circle of life. There are fish and there are bugs and the sun takes water from this pond and makes it into rain. And then like his boat gets stuck on a tree and he goes, we're like this boat. We're outside the current. And I'm like, did you practice this metaphor? Like, did you artfully <laughs> practice time this? time to do it. <laughs> uh-huh. And I, what I want to know is the tucks still need to eat. Like they still get hungry. They still go to bed at night, but they can shoot themselves with a gun and still be alive. So, like, I I don't know. Not that immortality in this type of story is meant to be scientifically explained, but I find that an interesting 
problem. No, it's, it's got to be like an eye zombie thing where if they don't eat, they'll turn into the undead. And <laughs> okay. It'll be bad for everybody. They don't talk about that part in Tuck Everlasting, but it's probably part it's of probably the in Tuck Everlasting universe. <laughs> well, and it's also they if it's a physiological thing how could you for based on what we know about brains like how could you have how could you grow as a person how could you form memories would that even work yeah it's like it's it feels like and this and this seems like so let, yeah let's dive into this because it seems like the case for a 17 year old tuck who's asking a 10 year old to grow up and marry yeah like you, it seems like you would be able to form memories and you'd be able to have experiences, but you wouldn't be able to like learn Mature. and grow from them. You would just like remember what happened and maybe not take away the implications or, or yeah, you, like you just, you, you would still be in stasis. You could absorb new information, but you couldn't, you couldn't change yourself based on that information. And that seems to run counter to the, to the trope that's sort of present with Pa Tuck here, though he is like in his forties or fifties, so I guess it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, right. Of like, the like sad have, immortal person. Yeah, like at least you'd have forty years of life to sit there and like realize, oh, this is probably a blessing and a curse, right? <laughs> yeah, and and I guess that maybe that does jive kind of with like the fact that Jesse can never. He is a little bit of Peter Pan. Like he's the youngest. He doesn't seem very bothered by this situation and he just kind of flits from part of life to part yeah, of life. Yeah, I think I mean I think that's pretty common with in in literature, especially like young adult and children's literature. I think that's a pretty common immortality thing is in some way it's it's teaching a younger audience about death. Not maybe yep. not for the first time, but like Certainly when you're when you're the age to be reading Tuck Everlasting, you don't think about dying a whole lot. Like life is just something that you totally take for granted and you're not 30 and you don't kind of feel your body slowly falling apart every day. Happy birthday. Oh, my God. By the time that this airs, I will be turning 32 days after the first day it's on. I've been 30 for 11 months. How's that going? Super good. Thanks for asking. So, uh, to your point, no, just um, like I, I, I think the yeah. sad, the person who, who has seen enough to be upset about being immortal is a is a trope. Like in in Tolkien, like oh yeah, so there's sure. the, there's like the elves and they're the first race and they're immortal and they get certain benefits, but also men come about and death is like a gift that is given to them. Yeah, of course. Uh, there is an interesting part of the fact that this story is being told, like the main character is a child that has to receive this information. Um, the quote that struck me, Winnie blinked and all at once her mind was drowned with understanding of what he was saying. For she, yes, even she would go out of the world willy-nilly someday. She raged against it, helpless and insulted, and blurted at last, I don't want to die. Whoa. Like... That's pretty deep and an existential horror for a 10-year-old to be in this, like, rowboat with an immortal stranger who's like, hey, listen, the way of the world is death and things will not be right if you are not able to die. Don't go drink that water, please. Yeah. I mean, do you you think about dying at all? Like, do you think... 
Hmm. Ooh. Do you think hmm. so? Okay. So, so you're going through life and you're seeing stuff through your eyes, and you have like yeah. this this first person perspective on the on the entire world. That's how life works. And like that's just that's just a thing. Like what like what happens when that's when you're not when you're not anymore. And I think that, I think that's where a lot of religion springs from is like people. It's got to be something. Yeah. There's got like there's got to be you you are aware of things like you're you are a person and you're a, I don't know like what happens when that when that perspective when that like viewport closes there's got to be something right there's got to be i would think <sighs> well i don't you know i don't know but for me it's interesting i find myself and maybe i will i will be thinking about this differently later in my life i'm sure i will i find myself thinking about if i ever i'm thinking about personal death it is in a really i i find it to be an unfortunately like shallow thought exercise how you mean where i immediately start thinking about like all right who are the 30 to 50 people i encounter on a regular basis how and in what way will this impact their lives? Like, I, I find thinking about my own mortality as a 29 on 30 year old, like being an exercise and like, where do I stand in the in the lives of people I care about? Which is, sounds very selfish, but it also is, I, I hope it is driving me to like, be a better, more impactful person in their lives. Um, I don't know. Does that, does that jive no, it, it it does. I just like that's that's when I <laughs> that's when I feel like the abyss opening up under my <laughs> feet is when I think about just like not being anymore and like what is what's the point of being like what's the you know like what's what's the purpose of of being here and experiencing things and, and being like a person in the world, if you just kind of wink out and then you're like, like what happens? Is it just black? Is it nothing? Do you like, do you, do you come back as something else? Like what's the, I don't know, man. These are like big questions, but this is like, when I think about dying and immortality and stuff, this is what I, this is what I think about. Yeah. So what is, what does Pawtuck say? He says, the wisdom um, of Pawtuck. He says, it's a wheel, Winnie. Everything's a wheel. Turning and turning, never stopping. Wheel of time turns. The frogs is part of it, and the bugs, and the fish, and the wood thrush, too, and people. But never the same ones, always coming in new, always growing and changing, and always moving on. That's the way it was supposed to be. That's the way it is. So I I think it's interesting that this book doesn't default to what I would say is like a very particular religious doctrine or anything like it does kind of this wheel exists in a lot of different religions especially ones that involve some sort of reincarnation but we also like science can tell us about how the matter and energy that is us contributes to other things Mm -hmm. um so you can take whatever solace in that you want to or whatever despair you want to i suppose (laughs) uh yeah, so it's some pretty heavy stuff for a 10-year-old and for the, you know, 8 to 12-year-old audience that this book is geared towards specifically. Um, the plot from there is relatively simple. The The man with the apologetic beard and the yellow suit has been following them 
Um, he has a personal connection to the Tuck family and is trying to track down this spring of immortality. He ends up like ransoming Winnie for it. And he wants the woods. He wants the spring. He wants to sell it because capitalism. And he gets killed, of course, mm-hmm. uh, by Ma Tuck in defense of Winnie. And I was I was glad that she killed him, if only because like she like hit him in the head and then later he dies. Uh, because when he shows up and is like menacing them, I just made a note to myself. I was like, you guys are like X-Men. Like, just fight him. <laughs> You're immortal, like superheroes. Just like punch him in the face and you'll win. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that becomes a problem because the constable was with him and saw it, saw this crime take place and is going to hang Ma Tuck. Now, Andrew, why would that be a problem? Because they like find out that they were immortal or something. Yeah, because she totally wouldn't die yeah. from hanging in a very public execution. Uh-huh. Uh, long story short, Winnie participates in like a heist plan to get her out, and Jesse, Jesse, seventeen-year-old Jesse Tuck, leaves a bottle of water of the, the special magic water with her and says, "Hey, we're leaving, but like when you're seventeen, if you want to drink this water, you can come find me. Just let me know. Mm-hmm. She doesn't drink the water. Ooh. She her, the her toad friend almost gets eaten by a dog, and she pours it on the toad. And then toad everlasting. Toad everlasting. And then in the epilogue, the tucks ride through town, and it's like the mid twentieth century. There are cars everywhere, and they find out that Winnie. Like lived a full life, but then died because mm-hmm. she didn't. She didn't want to be immortal, right? Because life's for the living, Andrew. It is. I found <laughs> the fact that you're gonna die is what makes it important. Welcome to Tuck Everlasting. Welcome to Tuck Everlasting. Oh my god, it's it's a cool book because, and I, I, it sounds a little trite when you read interviews with Natalie Babbitt where she's like, I'm. I just like writing books where there are questions, not answers. Like that's it sounds like such a cliche, but she doesn't like yes, there are characters here to like say like hey, maybe don't live forever. Right. But that's not an actual choice for most people. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to presume what the ultra rich are capable of. <laughs> but I don't think most people will get to live forever. So that is not a like to me it's not a story about that explicitly as much as it's a story about like what life is and how you would respond to this type of situation mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know that's that's the plot so i don't know if there's anything else that you want to that you want to talk about we talked about creepy jesse we talked about what it would be to be immortal so what what is this what is this book's function as a as a children's book or as a young adult? Oh sure. Book? I know we I know we talked about staring over the abyss at our own mortality and whatever and like maybe that wasn't super funny or whatever but <laughs> for our funny comedy book podcast. <laughs> well, I think that's that's it's definitely about immortality, aging and secrets and it's <laughs> I think it's a really good 
it's not about it's not a book about death that like involves your like a kid's dog dying or it's not about the grieving process but it is about mortality and what that might mean and and what you want to do with your life like Winnie does have to summon up the courage to like sneak away in the middle of the night to help this family that she's grown to love now one of the reasons that she loves them is that like they're these immortal messy weirdos and she comes from a family of like type a rich people Mm -hmm. so there is this romantic like romanticization Mm. that's close (laughs) romanticizing of their way of life which is both like they are sort of poor but it's they're immortal so that doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. um but she falls in love with them because they're kind of different from her and that's a cool little thread, but it is it is like, hey, you can you you can grow up if you are enduring the passage of time, um, rather than trying to run away from the passage of time. And I think f- I have not been a ten year old in hmm, nineteen almost twenty years, but I imagine, <laughs> you know, one of our one of our good friends, Sophie, has has a kid about this age. So I was thinking about her as I was reading this book, mm-hmm. and just like that's the age where you you aren't quite the person that you're like the adult for the most part that you're gonna be, but you are starting to make a lot of choices about what you want to do with the time that you have. Yeah, I mean, like, you you can draw a line between that person and the person who you'll be as an adult. Yes. Like and and maybe that's not the first time you can draw that line but it is you are definitely starting to become the person who you are going to be. Certainly. It it's a book of, you know, Winnie had Winnie takes a certain amount of autonomy over herself for a for a book where she is kidnapped more than once. Um she does like make key choices about herself at an age where that is still really very novel. Um and to do that in the face of, hey, please don't drink from the immortal fountain because dying is the is like an integral part of life. <laughs> uh, like Patuck even says to her, he's like, if I could just die, like that would be pretty cool because it would allow me to value the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's an interesting lesson to learn at that age. I think. What what we've been talking about this whole episode is really what the book's about, but we haven't spent as much time talking about like, yes, this is a kid that's 10. This is a kid that and, and many times if you're reading it, you're probably reading it around this age or around middle school. And that's an interesting quandary or, or a thought experiment. And so when a lot, we had some listeners ask and you asked earlier in the episode, like what's up with aging the character of Winnie for some of the film adaptations. I think that's for the romance angle. Sure. I think it's for the like, oh my God, I fell in love with an immortal boy. But <laughs> but the lesson is that I chose life instead. Mm-hmm. Like I chose like real life instead. And the musical, I think, keeps Winnie 10. And the book, obviously, she's 10, 11, depending on the math. Um and that seems to be more important to like the heart of the story. Right. So also here's a struck me funny Andrew at one point May Tuck is <laughs> her introduction 
she is described as a great potato of a woman. (laughs) Cool. No, that paints a certain picture, doesn't it? With a round, sensible face and calm brown eyes, which like sort of turns that into a compliment. And I or like it tries to be. I don't know. (laughs) She's a tough lady. Uh Uh-huh. Is what I guess I have. And many eyes. She has a lot of eyes. Sure. That makes get sense. It. Get it? Yeah, I get it. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yep. Cool. That's about the show. I think we're all going to die. And well, that's we'll a good all thing. Die. That's fine. That's a good thing, Andrew. Yeah. But just like just like once your consciousness winks out, that's like, yeah, right. Like, bye. Yeah, I don't think you get to go into like... I don't know what you get to do, but you probably don't get to hang out with a fat immortal horse. (laughs) Cool. Overdue. A podcast about bummers. Podcast about the bummers that you've been meaning to bum. Uh, If you know the secret to everlasting life, you should probably not tell us about it on social media. You should probably like sell it or something. But if you did. Because death is an integral part of life. Hey, there you go. Thanks, Patuck. Mm-hmm. You can let us know uh, about the thing that you probably shouldn't tell us about on Facebook.com slash OverduePod or Twitter.com slash OverduePod. I want to thank everybody who wrote into us in the past week. I'm going to read your names, but a lot of it was in response to, A, last week's episode about the magicians, uh, which seems like you enjoyed, and B, our list of like top 10 downloaded episodes in the past year, which was like a really... Lo- like great love fest from you guys about like your favorite episodes and things that you liked. So that was really great. Thank you for that. Uh, this list of people includes Albie, Michael, Tracy, Mary Kate, Robin, Hannah, Megan, Adam, Morgan, Russell, Stephanie, Florencia, Kendra, Chris, Mary Kate, Melissa, Bovin, of course, of course, Maria, Grace, Mr. J, Kara, Margaret, Leslie, Jane, Ashley, the worst bestsellers podcast, Eric, Josh, Charlotte, Graham, the Northwest High School Library of Cincinnati, Ohio, <laughs> and Liz, Chris, Taylor, Emmett, Lucas, Sean, Sophie, Rachel, Karen, and Woof Lord. Thanks, everybody. If you want, you can also send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Andrew, what else do people need to know before they die? People need to go to overduepodcast.com right now before they die. And up there, they will find <laughs> links to Google Play and RSS and Stitcher and iTunes. If you subscribe on iTunes, uh, real quick before you kick it, you should leave us a rating or a review because uh, that helps us rise in the rankings and it just generally makes us feel good about ourselves. Like, leave your mark on the world. Review Overdue Podcast on iTunes. Uh, also on that website, we have links to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host, and to our Patreon project, which is a way you can give us money because we so originally deserve it. And you can't take it with you when you die, but you can use it while you're still here. Yep. Money. 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 Uh, so next week, the plan is to talk about Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. That is the plan. Which I've been reading for our 200th episode, and it's going fine. I think I can make it. But in the event that we have to like delay the episode by a little bit, we will have that news for you by midweek. If you've ever tried to read Infinite Jest, you will know that it is it's not an easy book to read and it is a very long book to read. I think we went through this yeah. we went through this with Moby Dick, but we didn't have a specific episode number we were gunning yeah, for. Yeah, see that makes it a little rough. 
it was easier for me to be like, this book's my white whale. We're still going. <laughs> uh, whereas this time we like pegged a number to Andrew's back and told him to hit it. So like if it doesn't hit next week, that'll be as both a surprise to us and, and a, a test and a testament to our ability to roll with the punches. Not mad, just disappointed. That's what we all say. And then for our bonus episode this month, I think we have decided that we are going to watch the movie Hook and talk about it because we said that we might yeah. do that in our Peter Pan episode and nobody told us not to. I think some people told us to do it. Yeah. So it's your fault. So, yeah, <laughs> thanks. This is, a, this is a good time. Andrew, thanks for doing this show with me. You're welcome. Thanks for doing this show with me, too. You're welcome. Thanks, the listener. For listening to us do this thing. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week, I hope, with Infinite Jest. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast. All right, uh, I'm ready to, I think I'm ready to go when you're ready to go. Beep. <clears throat> Wait, what is that? I don't, I, I don't know why. I thought I would, machine, like, I, thought I, would, <laughs> I thought I would see that in the waveform later, and I look at it now, and <laughs> I won't notice it, so it's fine. What if I just clapped again? Don't do that. What if I was like, bah. Bah, bah. Oh, that sound looks horrifying. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs>